don't be afraid like you have to take risks don't be afraid you have to put yourself out there because if you don't nobody's ever gonna even have the chance to take a shot on you so like apply to jobs even if you don't think you're qualified and then the same thing as we were talking about with like Porsches and why we ended up with like lifelong horse addicts it's because we're so passionate about it the same thing like find a field and if it's tech great find something you're passionate about or if it's learning if you're passionate about learning you're like I'm gonna go do tech because I'm passionate about learning and I know I can learn it let that shine howdy and welcome to horse people a podcast diving into the stories behind some of the world's everyday questions. My goal is to weave a narrative about entrepreneurs, equine professionals, and horseback riders alike, and the stories about the lives they've built. I'm your host, Gideon Kukowski. My name is Kat Molman, and I'm working at Balta, which is a software company. I'm the director of customer support. Congrats on that, by the way. Um, I've seen your growth here. I've, I've, we, Kat and I work together and fellow horse people and and really excited to to get this conversation going but director of customer support i think it's maybe uh some context into like what what is balto in your perspective balto is a a very cool software that can listen to both sides of conversations and it's able to help people navigate those conversations so that can be used for things like call centers or tech support um we have places like uh, employees that work at airlines that help people book their travel. Um, pretty much anywhere you can think of that people are helping other people over the phone, Balto can jump in there and it listens to the conversation and it helps guide people through that. And it can be remembering pricing or remembering uh, things about like tech support, or it can be helping with what to say in certain situations to be the most successful. Um, so it's just a really cool voice recognition software, and it's extremely customizable and flexible, which is one of the great things about it. Um, it can kind of cross all of the industries that you can think of because it's so customizable. Yeah, totally. It's funny because uh, since we both work at Balto, like the everybody kind of has their own pitch depending on which department they're in almost. And um, I was uh, I was glad to hear like the, the examples that you gave are, are really like really actually interesting because oftentimes in like the 30 second 10 second you know value proposition that you give like you don't get the chance to hear that oh yeah airlines use it tech support uses it and contact centers and call centers use it but to add to your to your definition what i feel makes balto really unique is that real-time guidance piece that we do so well it's like giving the agent behind the screen the best thing to say live, like in real time on the call. But this isn't a Balto commercial. (laughs) Um, This is about you, Kat. So I'm curious, like, how did you get to be director of customer support? Like, how do you tell your story? Uh, Do you want me to start with just the Balto portion of it? Like, how did that grow? Okay. No, no. Start from the beginning. So kind of like a lot of Baltonians, my story is a little, it sounds random. Like there's a lot of people at Balto that um, have really cool titles like on sales and marketing and engineering and product and tech and customer success. Um, And when you ask them what they did before Balto, it's all over the place. Like I was a philosophy teacher or I had my own bar um, and made like boutique cocktails. Um, So my background is also like that. I uh, did English horse hunter jumper training um, and dog training for most of my life. And then um, I ended up randomly in tech uh, because a job that I applied to at a different startup for an admin assistant, it was my first job moving away from the animal fields, um, had filled. And that company asked me if I wanted to um, try to work in their tech department as their only tech person. And I said, yes. And it kind of just blew up from there. So I did something similar at that company. I started out as just a regular um, IT person. So I was helping customers would call in having issues with the product or questions about how it worked. And I would be the person on the other end, helping them through that. Um, And then as that company grew, like we built an entire IT department um, 
and they were small enough where it was like IT and product were the same department. And then there was engineering. And then I actually wasn't looking to switch. And I ran into another Baltonian on a Slack channel called STL Tech uh, when I moved back to St. Louis during COVID. Um, and that was uh, Doc slash Ashley. And they were just super vibrant and fun. And I was talking to them about, it's really cool that your company's named after the sled dog. Um, I find that really interesting. Like, what does your software do? And they were like, oh, it's voice recognition. And I was like, huh, the company I work at does voice recognition. Um, and they're like, well, we're hiring. You should just send me your stuff and apply. And like, no harm can come of that. And I did. Um, and I fell in love with the team. I met Noah and uh, Tyler and I think Chris Contes and Gideon on this podcast. <laughs> I met all of them via Zoom. Um, and just like fell in love with the culture and the company. Um, and I was excited to move from the startup I was at was like 15 people, maybe. Um, so I was ready for more growth opportunity. Um, so then I came over to Balto and I was an implementation manager, which is the person who helps hook Balto up with our customers' um, soft phone systems. So like we have to integrate so that Balto is aware of when the call's starting, when it stops, when we should be listening, when we don't listen and learned a ton on that team. And then was also helping the support team and just Balto has a great way of promoting growth. And so it just sort of naturally happened that there was a position to help lead the support team. Um, and that's where I ended up here. That's exciting. <laughs> um, I think you're so right. One of the things that makes Balto so unique, um, at least like the, in the, in the, days when you know you and I kind of got started with it all was that like unique backgrounds are almost a value add right like we weren't always looking for the person that's been in tech for 20 years and knows exactly what to do when you know it was like are you hungry are you willing to learn like and do you have the you know fundamental skills in order to do the job and and those things like just created some really beautiful synergies <laughs> of, uh, you know, of like, I don't know, of, of people really. Like, I think it, it's created a lot of, it's created the culture that I, that I think we, we have now that is, uh, that is, you know, growing and, and thriving. Question going back a little bit to your early days. So you were, the reason I know you're a horse person <laughs> is because you used to train uh, hunter show jumpers. Um, dogs is new to me. I didn't know you trained dogs, but I'm curious, like, when did you, so what was that like? Like, when did you start training horses? And, and then like, I have a follow-up after that, but let's start there. Yeah. So I started riding super young, like maybe five or six. And I feel like it was the same story as a lot of kids. I think I rode like those ponies at a carnival one time that go in like a little circle and they're like little tiny ponies and they just walk and you're like, this is the greatest thing ever. And I think after that, I like begged and begged and begged to go take more lessons. And my parents um, took me to, I don't even remember the name of it, but it was um, like a country, a very small country barn. It had trail horses. So like they would throw <laughs> Western saddles on their horses and you would like go out on these trails and I'd call it a lesson. Um, it used to flood a lot. I think it was down in Eureka and I remember it used to flood a lot. Um, but they took me down there and they're like, okay, we'll do like two lessons and then it'll be out of your system. And it wasn't. So <laughs> I took lessons there. I was hooked. I feel like that barn eventually flooded. And that's how I ended up in like the English hunter jumper world is the barn had to do repairs. So they were closed. Um, and we hopped ship to Kennedy farms, which is, I think still around. I actually don't know if they're even still around. Um, but yeah, so I, um, did not have as much money as a lot of the kids at those barns. And so I would work for my lessons and it just led to, I was literally always at the barn, like after school, I was at the barn until I was forced to go home and then I would like work off lessons and I'd probably get like three lessons a week. And I kind of hopped around barns a couple of times, but I landed at a place called Baskin Farms out in Wildwood. I think the biggest thing for me with horses, um, it's always been tied working in order to do something that I really love. So I, I never had it where I just got to take lessons. I always 
worked. And so I like learned most of my values and a lot of my work ethic from the barn environment. Um, and I was so passionate about getting to ride that like I would do anything. I would work super hard. Um, I was really good friends with a lot of the other like working students at all of the barns. Um, and it just was like a really good growing up experience for me where I learned the value of like, you can work and trade that for things that you really love to do that you're passionate about. Um, I learned how to like take care of, um, other beings and obviously like horses. Um, I've definitely had experience at a few barns where not everybody is the kindest to their horses. Um, or they just not even mean, it's just like, they don't always appreciate it. So a lot of people come out and ride and then they just like, kind of, they don't have to groom the horse or take care of the horse. So they just do what they want and they leave. Um, and I'm really glad that I didn't have that experience. I think it was a huge benefit to me for like the rest of my life that my version of riding was like the full care and, um, really doing what's best for the horse in order to like have a long-term relationship with it. Um, and then I had a pretty rough childhood. And so riding was kind of what got me through that too. Like I just, the barn was my safe haven. It's where I spent all of my time. Um, and I think because I was out there so much and I was always the person, if anybody was going out of town for like the weekend, I was like, I'll ride your horse. Like I'll ride him for free. I'll do it. Um, so I think when I was 15, the barn that I was at offered me like a paying position where I wasn't just working off lessons. I was actually doing like training rides and getting paid. Um, and it just grew from there. Like I was hooked and, uh, so started teaching lessons, started doing like the summer camps, which was one of the most terrifying things I think I've ever done. Like <laughs> getting in the ring with little kids and being responsible for them for the first time was terrifying. Um, but then I built up confidence around it and I survived it. Um, and I survived my first little kid falling off a horse because they definitely think that's like the end of the world, <laughs> like a teenager. And you're like, maybe it is the end of the world. I don't know. How hurt are you? Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that was my experience. Um, it was great and I absolutely love it. Um, the only reason I transitioned out of it is, uh, it is so time consuming and I wasn't exactly sure a hundred percent what I wanted from life in the bigger picture. And so I was, I needed time away from the barn to explore what else I might want to do. Yeah. And that was actually my follow-up. Like when, when did you decide to to transition away from the barn and into like a more corporate lifestyle, so to speak? But one of the things that you mentioned um, just reminded me, like, what I think what's sep- there's okay. <laughs> lots of thoughts come through my head right now. Um, but one of them was like, that what's, what's really awesome about your story is that you worked off lessons. And I think that's often looked, uh, I, I would say like, not looked, people don't realize that you can do that is, is where I'm going at with this. Like um, oftentimes, if you're like passionate enough about horses and you're young and you're like resourceful, I think I've talked about it in the past too. Like people are willing to give you the shot, like ride your, ride their horses, tack up your own horse, like, you know, muck the stalls, do all the work that goes along with it. And then in return, you'll get to do what you love, which is like riding, right? Maybe it's 30 minutes, maybe it's an hour or whatever, but um but that's like really, really important. Something that I love to highlight is if you love horses, there is a way. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. Um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you was, I feel like after a while, you know, like your parents will give her two lessons and then she'll stop, right? It like, it's fine. Like she won't get addicted. 10 years later, you're addicted to horses and you like, can't stop. Like, what do you think makes it so addicting? Um, I think there's definitely something about connecting with another being. Um, so like part of it is just, it's fun. Like, like any sport that you're passionate about or have any kind of skill at, like, it's just fun. You tend to lose yourself while you're doing it. So the whole world fades away. Nothing else exists. You're just there in that moment. Um, and that's, I think 
in today's world, uh, hard to achieve. And it's like rare where you truly, there's not other thoughts in your head. You're not worried about scrolling on your phone. You're not multitasking. You're just completely absorbed in the activity. And so for like the people that are fortunate enough where like that activity is horseback riding, um, it's, it's like peaceful. It's almost like meditation and sport and lifestyle all in one. Um, and then I think the other thing is just, especially if you start to get to ride horses that aren't, um, extremely well-trained. So like when you take lessons, your range of experience can be all over the place. You could be definitely put on the lesson horse that is like extremely stubborn and it does not move. And you're like, what am I doing here? Um, or the lesson horse that like runs away with you and you're kind of scared and you don't know how to control it. Um, or sometimes you'd get like the really nice lesson horses that are perfect. Like you, you know, give them a little bit of a squeeze on the rein or like a little bit of a push with your leg and they know exactly what that means and they do it. Um, and the horses that I got the most addicted to were the ones that weren't completely well-trained yet. Like they kind of have a little bit of spirit and a little bit of soul and you have to go through some frustration with them. Like they're frustrated. You're frustrated. You're both figuring each other out and then you stick with it. And all of a sudden one day you come out to ride them and it's like, it clicks and you have a really beautiful ride. You guys are in sync. Like when you're asking the horse to do things, it's doing them. Um, and it's like, just, it feels very respectful and it just feels very, very, um, connected and like grounded to the world. Um, and that I think is the first time that happens for somebody. I think it's like impossible not to be addicted. Like when you go from frustrated to, Oh my gosh, we understand each other now. Like, this is fantastic. It's like, it's all over. Oh my God. You're so right. Yeah. And I think like what separates a lot of horse people, uh, from non-horse people is like that first fall. You know, I thought like one of the things that you mentioned was um, you saw your kid, like a bunch of the kids that like happened to fall. And sometimes it's the end of the world. I find that the like, I think a lot of us can remember our first fall or maybe our second, you know, or something like that. But what separates a horse person from a not horse person is that that moment. I think now that you mentioned it is like when you fall, like, do you get back up Mm -hmm. or are you like scared of horses forever from that moment on? Mm-hmm. did you find that would happen with the kids too or um push them back up <laughs> yeah so there yes definitely there were some kids that would fall off and um it might take them a second because they're scared but when they like get back up they realize they're actually okay they're not hurt you know it's fine um and then they're like right back on and they're kind of ready to go again and there's other kids that fall off and either won't get back on, or I think the most rewarding kids to work with are the ones that fall off, don't want to get back on and you can talk them into it and you can slowly build them back up. And then they do get back into riding. Cause I think sometimes that personality type long-term again, like if you're talking about like how horses can really impact your life and just set you on the right life path, long-term those kids, if they didn't have an experience like that, they don't always learn that you can overcome that fear and then like great things come on the other side of it. And they tend to be people that go through life, like very timid and very afraid of risk and afraid of failing. Like they're like, so worried about failing and like what's on the other side of failure. Um, and writing is like one of the best things I've seen for kids like that, where you can fail. It's like a, like either you fail because the horse doesn't do what you want, or it like refuses to jump something or you fall off. And you're, it's like the worst experience ever. You're young. So it feels a million times worse than it is. Your emotions are super, super high. You're not sure you ever want to try again. Like you're so defeated. And then somebody is like, just try again. Like, I promise it'll be okay. Get back on. You love the horses. You're like, okay, I'm going to do it again because I love, you know, Buster so much that I want to keep my relationship with him. And they get back on and they start to ride and it's like, fine. And they realize it's fine. And like, maybe they go try the jump again, or they go try whatever they were doing when they fell off again. And it goes totally fine. Um, and that like sticks with people for life where they start to learn failure is not the end of the world. Failure is part of learning and like really great things come from like failing and getting back up again and riding and just animals in general have like a really great way of helping people 
face that fear for the first time and like get through it and not quit. Um, that's one of my favorite things about riding and about like kid camp with horses is like, you have so many opportunities to do that. Um, the only thing I would say with it is like, obviously if they fell off and the horse was being naughty, like maybe don't put them back on a naughty horse, like put them on like one of the like, horses. <laughs> yeah, but, fair enough. I don't know. Yeah. Like it's just, there's something magical about animals and particularly horses that help people face things that in other parts of their life or in other situations, they maybe wouldn't have gotten through. Like there's something extra motivating about horses. Yeah. That gave me chills, by the way. I was like thinking about it and I was like, wow, this is so true. Like what you're saying is, is true. And, and not me like reminiscing on all the times that I've fallen and gone back up and all these things that have happened. Right. Um, Do you remember oh, your first fall? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I, I forget the, the name of the camp, but I was young and I was on a horse named, um, I think it was red. It was like this red horse, right? And the horse named Red. And uh, yeah, I remember falling. It was in a camp. I did it with some of my best friends, two of my best friends at the time. They're still really good friends of mine. We don't see each other enough, but they're still really good friends of mine. And I fell and my dad was there, I think. And my dad's like a really big horse person. And so his mentality has always been like, as soon as you fall, you get right back up. Otherwise you get scared of it. And so I did that. And got right back up and like never looked back since. I think it was one of those moments where uh, like I was wiping tears off my face, like on top of the horse, but it was only like walking around the arena afterwards. And then it's like, okay, now that you're calm, you can come back down. You know, it wasn't like anything else than that. And then the next day I was like, all right, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting back on right like this isn't this isn't the thing and, and what's funny is um one of the guys that I was with fell off a horse I think the horse he fell off was Domino and um he fell off we did the same thing but like the addiction wasn't there like next time he was like always a little scared and from then on like he lost the love for horses uh whereas like you know I took the path where now I'm addicted he took the path where he's doing something else um, which is like really interesting. I think the first fall tells you, tells you a lot about what direction you're going to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I digress because that was a really interesting conversation. So, uh, you went from, you know, working for your lessons to then getting paid for giving lessons and so on and so forth. Is there something, um, that you think about like when, training horses uh that you think is like important for people to know um yes so I think one of the biggest things I learned probably when I was like 12 or 13 I tended to be on very frustrating horses again I just didn't have as much money as everybody else so I would get like whatever horses (laughs) you got the mules (laughs) um and I can remember I was on this, this one horse that would like constantly run away with me. I was really small. Like I was like a fourth grader size in like seventh grade. I was a really small kid. Okay. (laughs) And so like this horse would like run away and there wasn't a whole lot I could do about it. I weighed like 60 pounds. Um, and I remember getting really frustrated with it one time and kind of like yanking on the reins pretty roughly. Um, and feeling like immediately after that was over, like feeling terrible about it. Um, and I had a trainer that like came and talked to me cause I was like super upset and just gave me their philosophy with riding. Um, and they kind of asked me to think like, like, what do you think is going on with this horse right now? Like, why is it, what's it feeling? What's it going through? Like, why is it running away? Um, And they helped me sort of shift to approaching all of my riding with like, what's happening with this horse? Like, why did it freak out? You know, it's obviously having its own emotions and it's, um, it's own things going on. And that helped me become a lot more patient. And so the next time I rode that horse, instead of being like really frustrated and pissed off that it was constantly running away, like 
I just sort of leaned into that and I was like, okay, like you need to run to get out whatever you've got going on. Cool. And so I just sort of, um, gave it its head a little bit. It wasn't bucking or doing anything dangerous. And I just let it run away. And we were just like a team in that. And then it obviously you can only do it for so long and you wear down. And then we kind of worked through it that way. And like over time, um, it got to the point where that horse didn't need to run away anymore. Like, I still don't know what its experience was in its own life or like why that was its reaction, but by letting it do that instead of fighting against it. And then after it calmed down, working with it to get my own goals accomplished and to like start jumping and doing other things like, um, doing some dressage and like moving it around in the way I wanted it to move. It taught me a lot about being aware and respectful that like there's two agendas going on at all times. And sometimes instead of fighting things, the best thing to do is say like, okay, we'll go ahead and do your thing. And then after that, we'll do my thing. And like, it became one of my favorite horses to ride after that. Like eventually it got to the point where it didn't run away and it just liked to come out and do the work that you asked it to do. Um, I think it would have taken a lot longer and it would have been a completely different relationship if I had kept trying to force the horse not to run away and to like have all whatever that anxious energy is. If I kept trying to like force that into a box, instead of being like, let's get that out of your system so we can both focus. And I just kept saying like, nope, don't feel that way. Like shoving it down and being like, nope, just do what I want. Do what I say. I think it would have taken us a lot longer to get there. And the horse probably would have had moments where it was like unpredictable and explosive where like that had to come out in some way. And so it all of a sudden was taking off again. Um, and that's like been my philosophy with like, anytime I work with horses or with dogs now, um, I'm not a huge, like fight against them. I'm usually, how can you take their energy, let them get that out of their system so that you can go get what you want to get done. Um, and I just believe in that really strongly that it, it works really well. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so true. I, I just had someone on the podcast. Uh, her name's Kaylee Marie. She's a Liberty trainer. And she said something very similar where like, sometimes you just gotta, you can't fight it you have, because they're, they're not, I was about to say they're human. They're not human, but they have their own brain and they have their own like mind and they want to do their own thing too. And, and um, you know, we forget that horses have that. I think oftentimes with dogs and cats, like, we, we might be a little bit more attuned to them because they're, they're more common in your everyday space where um, if your dog like is chewing on something, you just, you know, like something that they're allowed to chew on, you like, let them chew on it. Mm -hmm. It's like this, it's almost the same thought process here where it's like, if your horse is running away, like maybe it's their version of that. Mm -hmm. Am I in the right track here? Yeah. I think like a hundred percent, like it's remembering. Um, yeah. They have their own, energies and and mind and stuff. And it's better to just work with all of that. Um, and if you're not as skilled enough, like if you're in a situation where a horse is running away and it scares you, you're not like a skilled enough rider yet for that kind of horse. Um, I think where people get in trouble is they still try to ride those kinds instead of like kind of building up to mm -hmm. that, they still try to ride those kinds of horses. And like in anything, you're not going to do well for yourself or for others. If you're truly afraid. If you know that you're like way outside of where you should be, like you wouldn't go mountain biking on trails where you're like, I'm going to do like a double black mountain biking trail, even though I've only ever done a blue and this feels dangerous. Like you just wouldn't do that. You'd build up to it. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes with horses, people forget the same where it's like, okay, that's a situation where you go have someone more skilled help with that horse and like build your skills up just because you ride horses doesn't mean you ride every horse. It's true. That's so true. And that's a good call out too, because um, I find that I'm always looking for the the craziest <laughs> these days. And um, yeah, I don't know, it's a lot of fun, but uh, definitely you got to be careful. And you got to pick, pick your battles because um, you can't win all of them. Yeah. And if you've like built up to that skill level, then like, absolutely. Like I'm the same way. I always want the nut jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the crazy ones. They're, they're the most fun anyway. Um, anyway, so great. That was awesome. A uh, bit of a bit of a tangent on the <laughs> horse stuff, which is fine, uh, but definitely um, and definitely interesting. I'm curious, like when you 
about like that transition, like when you chose to go corporate, so to speak, <laughs> uh, when you chose to go white collar, um, like what was going through your head? I know you did launch code. Um, was it like, did you know you were good at the technical stuff? That's like kind of where I'm like, how did that happen? Um, so it sort of happened in phases. Um, I had been doing the horse stuff like full time. I graduated when I was 17, um, and went full time to work for a grand Prix rider. And I probably did that for two years. Um, and then I realized it was like seven days a week. It was really rewarding, but it was like seven days a week. Um, that was truly all I was exposed to was like horses and the barn bubble. Um, and I think I just realized that I was curious about other parts of the world and like what else I might be interested in. And so I first actually went to nursing school. Um, really? <laughs> I did. And uh, while I was at nursing school, I worked with a PhD nurse, which basically means like she had done her nursing school, but she didn't work on hospital floors or like in clinic settings. She did research. Um, and that's where I was super passionate. Like I did not like the clinical floor stuff. I didn't like being in the hospital. I loved being her research assistant. Mm. And so while I was going through that and when I figured out that like, I'm super into data and like, I really like the research and I don't really like the nursing part. I was like, okay, I'm probably shouldn't be a nurse. Um, and so then I went back to horses full time and then, um, I moved from St. Louis to Florida. Um, and that's when I really had a strong push to switch out of horses because I had built up a client base here in St. Louis, but I didn't have anything in Florida and I knew I could try to rebuild down there, but it's a lot of work and you've got to find land or somebody else who needs an instructor. Um, and so that's where I had applied for like that admin assistant job as just like a way to get my foot in the door anywhere else. Um, I definitely was not good at tech. I had no clue that I would like tech at all. Uh, when they offered me the IT position, I flunked their test. And I was like, hey, I just flunked this test. I don't know if you really want me as your IT person. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I that's how I got into the, the corporate world. Um, I think I was really fortunate that I ended up at a startup. Like, I think that helped me switch away from horses and have it still feel um, not so foreign because like startup companies, they just have their own culture. You can do a lot of growth. Um, they're really care about their people. Not that other companies don't, but they're just really invested in their people. And it's a lot more of a family setting. And that's kind of what I've been used to with barns. Like when you're doing horse stuff, whoever you're working with tends to be your family because you're with them so many hours of the day startup setting, like same thing. You're probably working more than 40 hour weeks. You're around the people. So often they become like family and like strong connections. Um, and so that transition was easier because I felt like I was going from one family to another family. And then I just happened to luck out that I really like tech. Um, I like that you can keep learning in it. Um, there's like infinite things to learn. So you're never going to get bored with it. Um, and I still had my horse at the time. So I was still getting to visit him. Um, I think he was just starting to retire. So I wasn't riding a whole lot anymore, but I, like I would get to go out and like bathe him and graze him and take him for walks. So I was still really connected to horses. Um, and then when I switched to Balto, same thing, I still have my horse boogie. So I've stayed somewhat connected with the riding world. I do miss riding though. I have not been like riding or jumping in probably two and a half years. And so like, I definitely miss the sport of riding. Yeah, that's interesting. I find that when I don't ride for more than like three to five-ish, six-ish months, I, I get cranky. <laughs> I just like start getting cranky. Um, like my, my temper just gets shorter. And then I go ride and I'm like, oh, okay, whew. <laughs> I'm back. Yeah, I'm back to normal. <laughs> the winter, okay. That's why I think the winters are hard for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I have the same thing. I definitely noticed too, like if it's been a long period, like the next time I go ride uh, will be like probably the most relief and the most cathartic experience I will have. 
since the last time I rode. Like there's some, like you kind of forget about it. You get like, you're like, oh yeah, it's riding. Like it's great, but it's not that great. And then like you go ride again and you're like, oh no, it's absolutely that great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. So um, when you joined Balto, you were an implementation manager, which is like kind of the, um, it's not entry level by any means, but it's like the entry level role to like the, the, like the technical success aspect of a startup. And do you, do you find that that's kind of true? Um, yes. And the, the role has changed a little bit, but yeah, it's like, it's different than tech support because you have a, it's like a weird hybrid role where you need to know enough about tech that you can get the softwares hooked up together and working together and you can recognize when they're not working well. Um, but you also have to be able to talk to another company's team members because they're who are helping you get access to the software that you're hooking up to. So you really have to have like both tech skills and soft skills. Um, and I think that's actually crazy rewarding. Um, I miss a little bit talking to accounts and like talking to different people. Um, and then on the other side of it, like tech support, tech support, you do still have to have some soft skills, but you kind of have to have like a wider breadth of IT skills because implementation management, like you kind of know what you're doing. All right. There's like various ways we can do this, but like my one sole job is to hook our software up to another software and it kind of follows a template. And then on the tech support side, it's like, okay, you need to know enough about computers to know is the computer causing the problem or is the Balto software having an issue? And then you've got to stay up to speed with Balto software as it's, you know, progressing and it has new features that can break. Um, so they're like kind of sister roles. One of them's a little more soft skill and specific um, in-depth tech knowledge. And then one of them's like, you need to have a much broader tech knowledge and kind of keep up to speed and you still need some soft skills, but you're not talking to accounts like day in and day out. Um, you're usually like kind of emailing back and forth. So, um, and we have had, so we've had people go from the tech support role at Balto to the IM role. Um, and it kind of like, it led into the IM role nicely where they understood the product really well. And then it was like, they were ready to take this step in the IM position and like start to do account management as well as technical skills, so. Totally, um, I am is just implementation manager. Yeah, sorry, yes. Yeah, I, I, I just realized like you and I, we're probably really <laughs> used to all of this jargon and uh, <laughs> I think my dad will listen to this episode and he's gonna text me <laughs> like, you know, 45 minutes in like, what is I am? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding, but. So now that you're director of customer support, um, pretty cool promotion seeing as like, you know, not even maybe five years ago, you weren't even in tech, right? Like you weren't even doing anything and you were training courses kind of. So now that you're a director of customer support, like what do you, what is it that you do? Yes, that's a good question. Um, so a lot of what I do is trying to help other people get to where I am, like gain skills, gain education, um, gain tools in their toolboxes faster than I did. So like, I think one of the cool roles about being like a team lead or a manager or a director is hopefully you're in that position because you've proved out that you have some set of skills that are like on the higher level for that role. Um, and I think one of the great things that you can do for other people is whatever journey it took you to get there with those skills, like you can distill those to other people faster. Like you can now be like, okay, here's what you need to know. Um, and you can kind of help other people start to like level up and then surpass and like get places even faster. So a lot of what I do is team education. Um, and then also just the same thing. Um, as you would do for like the whole company, but like down to one department is just taking like the company's vision and then saying like, how can my department support that vision? So what's our department vision and making sure that you've got a narrow enough focus that you're accomplishing like big steps um, and that you're kind of staying on the path and then recognizing 
when you've succeeded in accomplishing that vision, what's the next vision? So some of it's just making sure that people stay in sync with here's our goal for like this quarter or for this time period. Um, here's what we're trying to achieve as a team, because I think you can definitely, you could go achieve a lot of things like tech support could say, okay, there's like six main issues that Balto has, and we want to improve all of them. And if we try to focus on all six of those and like deep diving into what are ways that we could help engineering or product improve these so that they're preventable, they don't happen again for customers. Um, your focus would be so spread thin that I think people would burn out. And also you probably wouldn't ever actually achieve one of them. So some of it's just making sure that it's like, let's do one attainable thing at a time and get all the way to the finish line with it. And then we'll move on to the next one. Um, And then some of it's data organization. So same thing with like sales and marketing and CS, it's keeping in mind the big picture, like how are things trending? Um, Are tech issues trending about the same? Are they starting to happen more often or less frequently? What does that mean for the company? Does any other department need to react to this? So some of it's just like keeping an eye on the bigger picture and like letting the company know like everything's all good over here, stay focused on everything else, or there's like a fire happening here. Here's what we think it means. Here's what we think other departments need to do. And then outside of that, I think some of it too is just like the same as any employee, like remembering to also keep your own skills like honed. So where can you shadow? Where could you understand more about like other departments and like how your department affects them and kind of keep that global training going? Yeah. Uh, That's, that is the gist of it. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good point. And, and I, I, I kept one of the things you mentioned is like the company's vision and then the department vision and then indiv- team vision and then individual vision. And it's like, it's just like this rung of, mm-hmm. uh, or tree of little visions that make up the big vision. <laughs> um, and as a department leader, you're, you're responsible for making sure that those things from the individual level all the way to the department level get done and get moving forward. Yeah, that's been one of the interesting things, like really fascinating about watching my previous company and also watching Balto grow is I think sometimes it feels intuitive when you're like in a really small scale group, like 20, 30, 40 people, like it's kind of intuitive that people understand the vision and it doesn't need that much help to like keep so many people herded towards like the same goalpost. Mm -hmm. Um, But as companies grow, it's really interesting to see how you really do it's like, there's a lot of work going into like staying herded on the same thing. Um, and like, when you think about it on a personal level, I definitely have the same thing in my own life where I have like six different hobbies and sometimes I can get distracted and start working on a different hobby, even though I really wanted to maybe learn a guitar song. And now all of a sudden I'm like learning how to sketch birds or something. Um, and I know like that happens to me as a human. So obviously if you start to bring like hundred people together, 200 people together, like it makes sense that for a company that can happen too, where like people have different things they're working on individually for the department. And if someone's not helping kind of hurt it and say, okay, are we all staying focused this week? And are we all staying focused this month? Seems like maybe we're getting a little distracted. Let's get back on topic. Um, it's interesting how at that scale, it can really start to like meander off. Um, yeah. So that's just <laughs> It's just like one of those fascinating like sociology things, I think. Yeah, that's an interesting observation uh, for sure. I'm curious, uh, before we move into the rapid fire questions, um, I have one more question for you. And that's like, if there's someone listening out there who's like considering a career change into perhaps tech, um, just because that's like the industry we know, like what do you recommend for them to go in from, you know, non-tech, perhaps even barn stuff to into tech? Honestly, probably the hard thing, which is don't be afraid. Like you have to take risk. Don't be afraid. You have to put yourself out there because if you don't, nobody's ever going to even have the chance to take uh, a shot on you. So like apply to jobs, even if you don't think you're qualified. Um, And then the same thing as we were talking about with like Porsches and why we ended up with like lifelong horse addicts, it's because we're so passionate about it. The same thing, like find a field and if it's tech, great, 
find something you're passionate about, or if it's learning, if you're passionate about learning, you're like, I'm going to go do tech because I'm passionate about learning and I know I can learn it. Let that shine because that's how, that's like what most people are going to see and attach to. Same thing with like people that are like, I really love horses, but I'm not sure how to get into it. Put yourself in the situation, like just show up at barns, show up places where there are horses and then like let yourself shine a little bit, like show that you're passionate. Um, if you can't do it through like personality or being extroverted, do it with your actions, do it by your cleaning horse stalls, even though you don't have to, or like in the tech world, you're shadowing or you're taking notes or you're somewhere, um, in that company, like reading books on tech, like show somehow that you have a passion and that you're investing yourself in it. And that's how you get the opportunities is people will notice that you just have to have faith. Like people will notice it and they will give you opportunities. Um, but if you don't give them a chance to notice, if you don't put yourself in the situation where somebody can see you, like they're not going to magically know to reach out to you. You have to be there for them to, to reach out. Yeah. That's such a good, that is such good advice. <laughs> like to the core, I believe that like, I just couldn't agree more with you. And and actually it's a big reason why I almost started this podcast too. It's like, I wanted to talk to more horse people. I wanted to be more involved in this community that is so unique. And so like everybody I tell, I'm like, I started this podcast. It's about horse people. And they're like, wow, that's really niche. I'm like, it is, but it isn't Mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of us doing this thing. And the it's like a multi multi billion dollar industry in the nation and this and that yet from an outsider's perspective it's like so niche and it's like something that's so unique um that i was like you know what like there's there might be something here and i need to start talking to people so. and the the whole like six degrees thing for i've just watched this happen to like friends i've seen it happen to myself it really does show up more than you would expect where like maybe nothing happens for like six months, eight months, but somebody knows you from the podcast or knows you from someplace that you were. And then they show back up in like six months and they've connected with somebody else. And it's really weird how making connections, it just has this bizarre way of in the future, it starts to connect you with more and more people and in ways you wouldn't expect, like even stories of I've had friends that have met somebody randomly at like an airport bar and talked to them. And like eight months later, they met them. They happened to be vacationing at the same spot and they saw the person again. And like, they got some opportunity because of that. And it's like, you could never know, you would never be able to say that connection would ever have become anything else. And it's just really like, you should have faith. You should have faith that you don't know what it's ever going to be. So like take the shot and it'll, it'll pan out. If you're passionate about it, it'll pan out. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Um, Kat, thank you so much. This was, this has been really great. Uh, we have one more section. I call it the rapid fire questions. Um, so there'll be rapid fire, but I mean, they're just like little fun <laughs> questions that I like to ask. So now I got a new one, um, that I'll ask you. So First one is, first one's always been, do you have a favorite horse you've ever ridden? Yes, I do. I have two. One was named Cassie and one was named Midnight and they're equal. <laughs> <laughs> what made them your favorite? Um, they both were thoroughbreds, which tend to be like high spirited animated horses. And they both were extremely, extremely challenging to ride. And then we eventually got through that. So it was just like, the most frustrating horses I've ever ridden and also the most rewarding and the most fun. Like they were the ones that like took me to like some national championships and stuff. And it was like, we never thought we'd get there. And then they, they ended up working out. So pulled through for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's awesome. Do you have a favorite place you've ever ridden? Yes. It's maybe going to be shocking. So um, there is a place out in Innsbruck, Missouri. So like uh, Wentzville, Missouri, which is just more rural, a more rural part of Missouri. And it's, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost jungle-ish. It's like very vibrant green plants and like skinny trees everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to ride this horse blue out. It was a little quarter horse out bareback, um, way out there and you like lose cell service. Um, and it is still like the most beautiful riding I've ever done. We could like gallop through the field, Um, and it's just like green everywhere and like beautiful sunshine. And it was, 
surreal and it's my favorite like if i could go back there tomorrow i would definitely do it it's oh my god favorite. we gotta find a way to get get out there <laughs> it's like so close <laughs> it's yeah it's not far at all um and it's just yeah incredibly gorgeous so all right you'll, you'll have to show me pictures or something um next question knowing what you know now what's one piece of advice you would give your younger self um probably the have faith piece i think there's times that i have chickened out or not taken opportunities or even um switched like jobs at times because i was so worried about a future thing that may or may not have happened and i let the fear kind of win um, instead of having faith. And the more I've switched that and the more I've like chosen to have faith and like follow my heart, like if my heart's in it, have faith that it will work out and that you might not be able to see it now, but like looking back, you'll see how it all connected. Um, there's times that I wish I would have learned that sooner and, um, not made fear-based decisions. Mm. That's that's really powerful stuff. <laughs> um, thank you for sharing. So next next question. I've got three more. What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? Um, an Olympic rider, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've thought about that. I, for me, it's always like when I was a kid, it was always like an equine veterinarian or, or a zookeeper or something along those lines. Zookeeper, I think, was also up there for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're fun. They're fun jobs, I think. Um, okay, next one is, oh, uh, was there something you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to to chat about? Um, it probably would take too long for this podcast, but sometime I would love to hear more about the polo world because I haven't had a oh. lot of exposure to it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I I have some I've had some uh, polo episodes uh, that you could listen to if you're if you're keen on hearing some other folks talk about it. But otherwise, you and I could just grab a beer at the Balto Bar, and I'll tell you I'll, I'll run your ear out. Um, and then the last question: What makes horses special to you? Um, definitely like what we talked about earlier, they were a foundational part of my childhood and my values and like who I became. And they've gotten me through all of the rough times in my life. Um, and then other than that, like, who knows, like I have the horse addiction and I don't know why some people have it and some don't, but I'm really glad that I'm in the group that has it. Hey, thanks for listening all the way through. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe, follow and leave a comment to listen to more conversations like this one delivered to you every Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. What a way to end it. Thank you so much, Kat, for, for taking the time. I appreciate you so, so much. Um, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. This is great. <laughs> cool. All right. So I'm going to stop recording.